St. Louis Cardinals are on the air. I've loved a lot of different sports for as long as I can remember. When I was in elementary school, I loved to do my homework listening to St. Louis Cardinals baseball games on the radio. Now let's follow the Redbirds. When I was in junior high and high school, I was crazy about the University of Arkansas football team. When I was in England later, I briefly played on the college rugby team. I wasn't very good at any of these sports, but I sure did like it. Even though I'm quite a bit older now, sports still bring me the same thrill as they did when I was a little kid. One of the greatest perks of being president is you get a chance to meet many of the best athletes in the world. I love the chances I had to welcome championship teams to the White House, both college and professional, and to host the Summer Olympics and Men and Women's World Cups in the U.S. while I was president. It was fascinating to me to be able to talk to people who were just the best at what they did and try to figure out what made them tick and how they achieved that level of excellence. So why am I telling you this? Because for billions of people around the world, sports are often about much more than just playing a game. Sports teach us about teamwork, about winning and losing gracefully and fairly, about self-improvement, leadership, and endurance. At their very best, sports lift up our common humanity, and they help people to connect across borders, generations, gender, race, all the lines that might otherwise divide us. I'll never forget visiting the athletes ahead of the opening ceremony of the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta and seeing men and women from countries all around the globe, some of whom were bitter enemies, sitting with one another in the dining hall of the Olympic Village, sharing meals and slowly breaking the ice that divided them. This was opening day for the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. President Clinton and his family were welcomed by athletes from around the world as he toured the facilities. President Clinton praised American athletes at the Olympic Village. I want you to win all the medals you can. I want you to mop up and do great, but I want you to realize that just by being what you already are, you are a source of enormous pride to our country and an inspiration to the world. And I hope tonight and these next couple of weeks are the greatest time of your life. Today, I'm joined by one of the athletes who won gold at those 96 Summer Games, Dawn Saley. I first met her when she and her basketball teammates came to the White House after their victory. After that, she went on to win two more gold medals in 2000 and 2004, to have an accomplished career playing in the women's NBA, to become one of the greatest coaches in the country, leading the University of South Carolina since 2008, including winning the school's first national championship in 2017. But more than being a great basketball player and coach, Don Staley is a great person. I've had the chance to travel throughout Africa with her, visiting some of our foundation's programs. And it's clear that she's driven by a desire to make a positive difference in other people's lives, from her players to the fans to the countless people benefiting from her own philanthropic work and her powerful example. Dawn, it's great to talk to you today. It's so great to talk to you, President Clinton. You're one of the most decorated athletes and coaches of all time. You're an All-American. You played for the American Basketball League, the WNBA. You're a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame, an Olympic athlete and flag bearer, head coach at Temple, now at South Carolina. How did this happen? What has basketball meant to you, both personally as well as professionally? Well, well, basketball has been an incredible resource. It's been my safe haven. 
growing up in in North Philly and the projects called the Raymond Rosen Housing Projects was a place in which there wasn't a whole lot to do uh, besides sports or getting something that's that's illegal or that can leave a negative impact on your life. You know, I'm known for playing basketball. But if anyone that knew me growing up in, in North Philly on Diamond Street, they knew I played tackle football. I played softball. I played baseball. I did everything the guys were doing. I, I grew up with three brothers and one sister, and all of us were super competitive. And if seven of us, that's my, my siblings and my parents, lived in this three-bedroom house with one bathroom, so you had to compete to go in and take a shower. I didn't win very many of those battles. <laughs> <laughs> I had to compete because I'm the youngest to, you know, to get uh, socks and shoes. The one thing, the one thing that I had to make sure that none of my older siblings got to were my socks. I'm a sock fiend. I, I had to have my my white, pure white socks and my seam had to line up with my toes. And if any of my siblings wore any of my socks, I knew. So I come from a competitive family. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I use sports as a vehicle to feed into that competitiveness. But when I first received my, my college letter, just interest letter, which was um, somewhere between the seventh and eighth grade, I knew basketball was going to be the ticket to get me to all the pages and books that I read and imagined visiting. How did your life affect how you coach? Um, I would say I'm probably the opposite of how I grew up and how I coach. How I grew up, I was an introvert. I was extremely shy and I wasn't verbal. I didn't use a lot of my verbal skills. Um, I went to the University of Virginia where it's a predominantly white university. I grew up in the projects. It was predominantly, actually not predominantly, it was all black. You know, so my first experiences, even with people outside of my race, all happened at the University of Virginia. When I got to Virginia, I, I didn't quite know. I didn't think I fit in with um, Virginia as far as what happened outside the basketball court. One, it was just I was young. Two, again, I was shy and I was an introvert. So I, I wasn't easily approachable because, again, it's the trust thing. I had to be able to trust you. I had to be able to allow you into my space. And I, I did not do that very easily at the University of Virginia. So for me, being uncomfortable, you get more comfortable because I had a an experience at Virginia during my first year of college where I did not do well in something that I applied myself to. Um, so it made me extremely uncomfortable. I, I did have a dean. I had to sit down with a dean and she pretty much threatened to throw me out of the University of Virginia. Uh, because I didn't perform well. And I'm sitting across from her. Again, I'm shy. I'm an introvert. You know, I didn't, I wasn't very comfortable in my skin. Wasn't comfortable talking to adults that I didn't trust. Um, so all of these nonverbals that I was giving off uh, really didn't sit well with the dean. Uh, so my coach really had to, to help me out. She had to have that little pep talk with me and said, you know, you basically got to, you know, you got to look people in their eye. You have to... You have to conform. And I wasn't I wasn't big on conforming because, you know, I, I wasn't one that liked to live in a box or um, so that word really took me took me back. So I said, I'm, I'm not going to kiss anybody's butt. This is the way I am. I'm not going to change for anybody. 
And little did I know uh, what I was saying and what I was doing at the time really was one of the crossroads in my life where I had to stop. I had to think about what I wanted my life to be without basketball. And that's when it hit me. You got, you have to conform. This is the way that you have to exist at the University of Virginia. And it, it helped me. Um, now as a coach, I, I think certain things happened to me throughout my life that has helped me get more comfortable with dealing with, you know, just across cultural lines. All of those life lessons I look back on, it has helped me to be able to, to come to a place that's predominantly white and unify and reach, go across different ethnic backgrounds and, and be able to hear people, talk to people, be comfortable in my skin and, th- and let them see me for who I am. And I, you know, I always reflect on my days back in Virginia and know that um, I was sent there for a reason other than basketball. I've heard you say before that you think it's important that there be more black coaches in your game. Do you still feel that way? And why is it so important? Well, I, I absolutely do feel like not not just coaches, head coaches. I, I feel like there should be more black coaches to coach individual one basketball, women's basketball, because the makeup of our sport is predominantly black. I don't know the breakdown of the numbers, but I know it's it's more than 50 percent. And if it's more than 50 percent, they need role models. And here's why, because no one other than a black woman can teach another black woman how to be a black woman in America. It's quite simple. There's there's certain things that they're going to go through in their life and they're going to experience throughout their life that they're going to have to handle like I've handled in my experiences, good, bad, or indifferent. I think I can be a great example of of showing them, of of giving them advice that they'll need to be safe or to have an incredible career in whatever profession they decide to go in. Thank you for making that point. I think it's important that people understand that. You know, the, the best coaches don't just coach their players when they're on the court or a field. They coach them when they're off the court, and they think about their life after they're out of their one-loss column. Well, let me ask you something. I, uh, I like to watch basketball. I like to watch women's basketball, and I try to watch you and your team every time you're on television. I'm I'm very interested in how various coaches relate to their players, relate to the crowd, relate to the referees, especially when they're in tense situations. And one of the things I've noticed about you is that you seem to be very careful and sparing about the times you jump up and down. I've seen you in games that are really tight and the other coaches walking up and down the sideline and you're just sitting there staring looking at the players, trying to figure out what's going on. What is, is that deliberate? Do you have a deliberate style when you're in the public eye about how you talk to your players and how you're seen by the audience and by the referees and by your own players and by the other team to be conducting yourself? Well, I think what happens to me is I want to be my authentic self. I want to be my authentic self when I'm coaching. I want to be my authentic self when I'm off the floor and I'm talking to a a young person. I I think I have a a way of being appropriate during appropriate times, but I'm myself. I, I want to sleep well at night knowing that I'm myself. So when I'm on the sidelines, I I try to figure out what's the pulse of the game. We want to pick the pace up. Okay, we're going to get out into the passing lanes and don't let them off the hook. Make them work for everything. 
How are officials calling a game? You know, what are my colleagues doing beside me? What's the opponent and, and the coaching staff? What, are they, what does it look like? What is the crowd feeding off? I look at my players' eyes and I want to see that fire in their eyes. I want to see that they are locked into the task at hand. Every opportunity you can grow, grow. Every opportunity you can lead, lead. Okay? And then I take my place after seeing all those things. Sometimes I do get up and I talk to officials. Sometimes I scream at them. Sometimes I say some things that I probably shouldn't say, but it's my authentic self. I do sometimes sit down and just let the game come to me. Trust our players. Trust our players. And I, I will tell you this, President Clinton, is, is that a lot of times when I'm yelling at officials, and I'm self-assessing because this is what I do. When, if I'm yelling at officials about a certain call, I know for me the root of why I'm yelling at officials is probably because I don't trust my team in those instances. And I have to do a better job at trusting my team and putting that energy that I'm giving to the officials to my team. How do you think basketball, women's basketball particularly, is different from when you played in college? How is it changing? Where is it going? Well, women's basketball is a lot different from, I'm not going to mention, it's it's almost 30, 30 years from when I played. And I know some of my old school buddies will say that, uh, will beg to differ, and that I think it's better. And here's why. They're quicker, they're stronger, they are more skilled, and they're more skilled in all those things because of what they've been able to see. The WNBA, I I believe, is starting their 23rd year. And when little girls have seen 23 years of women play professionally, that's the carrot that's been dangling in front of them for all of their lives. When I was growing up, we only had the NBA, you know, and that's that was a foregone conclusion that we weren't going to be, you know, in the in the NBA. So, I would give the new schoolers an edge on the old schoolers only because they they've seen it. I think the other thing is I think the strength level of these players is expanded enormously. Yeah, you you know, because every everybody has a trainer now. You know, some of them are taking care of their bodies a lot better because they want to play longer. They want to play as long as they can, and their careers have been extended because of that. You know, the the longevity of a, a WNBA career it's it's more years than previous, but it's 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 much harder to get in the WNBA nowadays uh, because there are only one hundred and forty four jobs. And that's not to say that there's always 144 available because you have pros that, that have been in the game. I, I would say, and I, I think I talked to a couple of GMs in the WNBA, there are only probably maybe 10 to 20 new jobs available, if that, for someone that's leaving college and going into the WNBA. And that, that percentage is very low. So I tried to extend that percentage to our players because everybody's not going to be a professional athlete. So... We got to get this degree. We got to learn how to navigate through life just in case, just in case it doesn't work out on the professional basketball uh, level. Tell me about the Olympics. How did it affect your life? How was it different from all the other contests you were in? 
ah, the the Olympic Games. Um, growing up in those those same projects, I I only saw women play two times on television. One was the NCAA Final Four, women's Final Four, and the other one was the Summer Olympic Games. And I wanted to do both. I wanted to be a national champion. I wanted to be a gold medalist. So the Olympics and playing for USA Basketball is basketball utopia. The culture of USA Basketball, the friendships, the sisterhood that are created because we didn't care and we don't care, you know, who scores the most points, who gets the most rebounds. The one goal for us is to win basketball games, to do it together. And at the end of the two-week period of of playing in the Olympic Games is that we're standing on that podium and we're receiving gold because it's so much pressure to win gold. And we go into it knowing that it's gold or failure. So the Olympic Games, the USA basketball experience is what I model my coaching after. It is that. I know sometimes when you're coaching at the collegiate level, there's so many external people and things that get in the way of a player totally committing to that common goal. So the Olympics is a lot different. And I've coached for 19 years on the collegiate level. I don't think that I've ever had a team that had that same type of culture. It's, they've come close, but not the, the total culture of giving self to the team. You went to Africa with me and a group of people to see the foundation's work, the Clinton Foundation's work to help people get AIDS medication, to help farmers improve their yields, to do things to build villages that are healthier and get food that's healthier. And you agreed to represent, in effect, women's basketball in going on that trip to Africa. And I'd just like to ask you, first of all, do you think it was worth your while? And what do you remember most about the trip we took together? Uh, first, I don't think I got a chance to say thank you. Uh, so th- thank you for that life changing experience. I- I'm a better person because of that experience that I had. The people that I experienced it with were you know, incredible giving people. And I-, I-, I cried. This this tough girl from North Philly cried on that trip. But what I what I remember most about it, the um, the hearing aids, I saw someone here for the first time in their lives. And it it just brought tears to my eyes. My, my heart opened for that person, for a deaf person to hear a voice. They repeated the words that the doctor was saying to them. Really was heart-wrenching for me. There are so many people around the world that are classified as deaf because they live in really poor countries who are capable of functioning normally if someone helps them. And I agree with you, man. When you see somebody here for the first time, it's uh, breathtaking. That was a session we did with one of our CGI partners, Starkey, which is basically giving a couple hundred hearing aids to people with difficulty hearing, a couple hundred thousand a year now. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, if it if it weren't for your foundation, I don't think there would be as many people living. I can remember we went into the hospitals and we saw, you know, people getting treated for AIDS and it was it was life changing. I came back to the University of South Carolina and our theme for that particular year was be the change, be the change. And I, I, I share with my players what be the change meant to me. And we went out into the community and I hope we were able to impact some kids and being a change in their lives and our lives because it was an incredible experience. When, when can we go back? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love for you to go back with me up. Uh- 
you have your own uh, philanthropic effort, uh, appropriately named since we started this show with the story of your childhood, Inner Soul. Tell us about Inner Soul and what does it do? Inner Soul was birthed from a conversation I had one of our partners who was doing some some spring cleaning and she was going to throw away some some new shoes that she had and I was like no no don't don't do that and and I just kind of thought about my childhood and I'm like we need to do something we need to do something here in the state of South Carolina that will help you know so many cuz it's a lot of homelessness that's here in in the state of South Carolina I said we need to give out new sneakers to homeless children and children who are in need because I know what a new pair of sneakers did for me when I was growing up because sneakers were something that I really enjoyed and that was the only thing that I loved. I didn't care what I looked like from my ankles up as long as I had a new pair of sneakers on. And I know that resonates probably all across the country where if you feel like you have a new pair of sneakers on, you would pay attention a little bit more in class. So it, it raises your self-esteem. It makes you feel a lot better. It gives you so much confidence. So what we're doing now is we're going into elementary schools and we're implementing a new initiative called Educate My Soul. And Educate My Soul is an initiative that has about five variables. It is class attendance. It is behavior. It is reading. It is physical fitness and getting good grades. We go into these elementary schools and we create a competition between all of third grade, all of fourth grade, and all of fifth grade. And they compete. So after each grading period, we find out what classroom scores the highest in those five variables. And we give them a new pair of sneakers each grading period. And I just went to two today. And they open those those bags up with those sneakers in it. And again, the smiles on their faces are quite incredible. So it's a partnership that we have with certain schools throughout the state of South Carolina. And hopefully we can continue to grow all across this country. And then hopefully we'll we'll have some sneakers to take over to Africa or wherever the Clinton Foundation is, is servicing young people. I thank you for joining us, Dawn. Thank you. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for making this young girl from North Philadelphia get a chance to speak to the 42nd president of the United States. Thank you so much. All of you have been listening. You now know why I'm telling you this. Don Staley is one of the most impressive and admirable people I've had the honor to meet and really get to know since I left the White House. One of the great blessings of these many years since I left office is that I've had a little more time to get to know people, take trips with them, make friends with them. And uh, I think she has done an unbelievable job as a coach, not only on the court, but what's more important to me, off the court and as a person. Thanks for listening. For more, listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. In the meantime, learn more about our work to improve lives across the country and around the world at clintonfoundation.org.